0: We're continuing today in our series, Then Sings My Soul, where we're looking at the poetry of the Psalms and how these poems give us the language to pour out our feelings before God. The Psalm we're going to be looking at today, it's a little different in terms of content than the ones that we've been doing so far. It's, it's one of what's known as the imprecatory Psalms or the cursings. And I think it can be difficult to know what to do with a Psalm like this. And so we're really going to dig in today in Psalm 109 and see what we can find there. So to that end, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to gather even at a distance with our friends and family and the people that you've given us to love and be loved by. Lord, this is an uncertain time and the the fear and the frustration that mounts from the things that we can't control can often lead us to become angry. And Lord, it's hard to know what to do with that anger. It's hard to know what to do with our hate. And so Lord, we pray as we look at this psalm today, that you would give us insight into your word, into your character, that we could discover what you want from us, what, what you intend us to do with that energy. And so, Lord, please give us wisdom. Please give us humility as we look at your word, as we learn something about you, and as it helps us understand the people that you've made us to be. So, Lord, we pray that you would be near to us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen. So this psalm is a a little bit of a longer psalm, so if you do have your Bible near you, you might want to grab it and just read along. It would be helpful. And in fact, you can just pause the video and I won't even know. So grab your Bible and let's look together at Psalm 109, beginning in verse 1. For the director of music, a psalm of David. My God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. For he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. and the great throng of worshipers I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy, to save their lives from those who would condemn them. This, remarkably, is God's word. I mean, it's brutal, right? Psalm 109 is so problematic in 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 the biblical canon that it's left out of most lectionaries, the the congregational responsive reading, and it's easy to see why. I mean, it's it's in the Bible, but it feel suspiciously unchristian. And it kind of takes you by surprise, you know, in verses one through five, David is crying out because people have slandered him, they've attacked him without cause, they've accused him wrongly. And so by verse six, you're with him, right? You know, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Yeah, he deserves that. Verse seven, when he has tried, let him be found guilty. Absolutely. Verse eight, may his days be few. Yes. Verse nine, may his children be fatherless. He, mm-hmm. Verse 10. May his wife be a widow and his children be wandering beggars. Okay, maybe, maybe pump the hate breaks there, King David. Verse 12, may, may no one take pity on them. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. Gads, I mean, this is in the Bible. It's understandable why they leave this one out of the responsive reading. You know, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and, and to go the extra mile and to turn the other cheek. So if that's true, but also it's true that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, then what are we to learn from the cursings? So there are three things that I think we can take from this text, and and I don't really, I don't want these to be like, oh, those are three interesting things. My hope is that we can use these insights from the cursings to really submit our own hearts to God for examination, that he might remold our thoughts to be more like his. So three things, first, we should develop a holy fear of hatred. We should develop a holy fear of hatred. The imprecatory Psalms, they expose the inevitable conclusion of our hate. In other words, if, if we indulge our hatred, if we choose to curse one another with our, with our thoughts and our wishes, that path, that choice, is going to lead us somewhere. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we find out that we've arrived. My daughter Ember, when, when she was first learning to ride her little radio flyer trike, we would uh, go together around the neighborhood, and and I would stay right next to her, and I'd kind of monitor her speed, make sure there were no cars coming, et cetera. But as she started to get more confident, she started to kind of pedal faster than I could keep up with. She thought it was hilarious. She would actually wait until I got distracted, you know, by the dog's leash or talking to Rob or something, and then she would just start to pedal, you know, Fast and Furious style, just drunk with speed. And so, uh, she took off a little further than I, than I was comfortable with. And then she came to the cul-de-sac, the circle in our neighborhood. And so she had to make the turn and it was a sharper turn than usual. And because it's a circle, she had to keep turning and she's going pretty fast. And, and, and I watch and I start to see that back pedal starts to lift off of the ground. And, and I take off running toward her, but I didn't make it. And I see that she, she has lost control of the bike. The bike now has control of her. And, and she toppled and she skin, she skidded across the concrete. She, she was fine, she, she skinned up her leg a bit, but not too bad. But when she got up, she kinda like looked at me completely stunned uh, and shocked by what had happened. And she said, Mommy, I hurt my foot elbow. You mean your ankle, baby? Yeah, my ankle. Now, <laughs> should she have been surprised that that happened? No. Now, did she mean to tip her bike? Of course not. But, but she kept taking steps toward that inevitable conclusion. She, she pedaled too fast. She turned too hard. And then it got away from her. Hatred will get away from us if we are not careful. Now, we might look at Psalm 109 and say, yeah, but, but I'd never pray a prayer like that. I mean, that's horrible. Well, guys, I think we may have too high an opinion of our own virtue. In fact, when I was shopping, for commentaries on this psalm, uh, I typed in Psalm 109 commentaries, and the first thing that popped up, even before the books, was a, a series of bumper stickers that were branded for, for both the Obama and the Trump administrations that said, pray for the president, Psalm 109.8. That verse, by the way, is may his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. I mean, come on, the, the, the reality is, is that we curse each other all the time. You know, shredding someone to pieces on Facebook. Spreading rumors about a coworker, or gossip, you know, making jokes about assassinating the president. We we don't compare things like this, of course, to to the kind of misery that David is calling down on his enemies in this psalm. But guys, it's just it's not that different. In fact, I would argue that that the cursing that we do in our hearts, the the curses that we issue to the people that we love to hate, is far more damaging to us and to other people and to the kingdom of God than dropping an accidental F-bomb in a kindergarten class. You know, the, the latter is just careless, but the former is premeditated cancerous hate. And it will grow to inevitable in an inevitable conclusion that the hate will get away from us. And so I don't think we're any better than David as he calls down curses on his enemies. In fact, I think we're worse because at least he says it out loud. I think we are often too cowardly to say out loud what we've already thought and felt in our hearts toward our our least likable neighbors or bosses or leaders or in-laws. Yeah, I think that's why people are so mean online. It's it's, it's a lot harder for us to not feel guilty when we hate someone face-to-face. Last year, my husband was on a work trip and it was just me and Ember hanging out at home and, and I'm on my computer and she runs over to me and says, mommy, can I have one of daddy's deuce bags? And I said, one of daddy's what? And she said, deuce bags, mommy, one of daddy's deuce bags. And I said, Ember, I- I'm not sure that I know what that is. And so she scampers off into the garage and comes running back with a silver Capri Sun pouch in her hand. Juice bags, got it. Okay, not the pejorative form of a feminine hygiene product, which led me to two important discoveries. One, uh, there was an alternative name for a juice pouch. And two, apparently my husband has a stash of Capri Suns, a personal stash in our garage, in our house. So maybe a week later, Rob and I were going to the movies, you know, back when people went to the movies, and, uh, and we're driving on the 408, and some guy just blows by us, driving like a maniac, bobbing and weaving. And, and he was going to cause an accident. And I turned to Rob and I said, that guy is filled to the brim with Capri Sun. And you know, we, we laughed and it felt good to issue a Christian insult without actually using any profanity. And I was very pleased with myself, but, but the ugly reality is that I cursed him Now, we live in a a, a more civilized society than the psalmist did. We would never say out loud that we hope someone fails or that they would be convicted or their children become beggars. But sometimes, sometimes we hope for exactly that. We're just too civilized to say it out loud. But when we pine internally for the failure or the pain of our enemies, we are revealing that there is in us, in us, the same heart of darkness that would allow David to pen Psalm 109. C.S. Lewis writes, These poets lived in a world of savage punishments, of human sacrifice. We are far more subtle than they at disguising our ill will from others and from ourselves, but we are, after all, blood brothers to these ferocious, self-pitying, barbaric men. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who's even angry with his brother, anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fire of hell. I think maybe maybe Jesus warns us not to hate our brother in our hearts because he knows it's the same hatred that tempts me to call that guy a juice bag. It's the same hatred in me that can grow into a wish that my enemy's children become wandering beggars. So first, we must develop a healthy fear of hatred. Second, the imprecatory psalms show us the natural consequences of all injustice. What do I mean by that? Well, when you sin against your brother, say, say, um, say you ran off with your brother's wife. There's the, the injury itself, right? The, the sin, you, 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 the betrayal you took his wife. What do I mean by that? When, when we sin, against our neighbor. Uh, say, say you run off with your brother's wife. You know, there's, there's the initial sin, the injury, the, the, the taking of his wife, right? But then there's a secondary injury. Your brother becomes untrusting and cynical. The, the seed of resentment is planted in his heart. And, and once it is, there's just no accounting for what else that will take from him. There's a man named Andrew Theron who was called by a debt collector in 2015 and the debt collector demanded that Andrew pay back a $700 payday loan. Only Andrew knew he had never taken out a payday loan and so he told that to the debt collector and the debt collector got really angry and he called him a deadbeat and he threatened to come to his house and assault Andrew's wife. Andrew had been caught up in a a fraud that's known as phantom debt. So what happens is someone grabs a bunch of information off of the internet. Um, This could be maybe old collections debts that had already been paid, but more often it's just a hack. It's so stolen social security numbers. It's uh, old loan applications. And then this data is, is reformatted to look like a list of debts. And then this list of debts is sold to these kind of shady uh, debt collectors who use unsavory methods of collecting. Andrew was so angry at the threat that was made against his wife that he decided that he wanted to do whatever it took to track this guy down. And and the more he learned about phantom debt, like the fact that poor people suffer the most from it because maybe they do have some bills that are legitimately in collections and they get swindled into paying more um, to to these debt collectors. And he began this relentless crusade to find the man who had threatened his wife and to expose this fraudulent practice, it became like a second job for him. I mean, he would do his day job all day and then at night he would just start phone calls and he would, he would uh, track down names and he'd use those names to blackmail loan sharks to get their suppliers to turn on them. He, he basically became like, a, like an independent FTC agent. And, and remarkably, after years, and I mean years of nightly phone calls, he actually tracked down the guy that he was looking for. His name was Tucker. And as I was reading this article in Forbes, I found myself kind of internally cheering for Andrew, you know? Like, who, who doesn't find it satisfying to see someone who exploits the poor and innocent, someone who really deserves it, you know, get what's coming to them, right? But, but the trouble is, is that in the course of his crusade, Andrew found himself employing some of the very same tactics of the debt collectors that he was trying to expose, He harassed this man's 81-year-old mother, hoping to find out where he was. He called wives and widows and children and and business partners, sometimes leaving cryptic messages or thinly veiled threats. Eventually, um, he he did get enough evidence. He amassed enough evidence to provide the FBI grounds on which to convict Tucker, but, but in the process, he began to behave like the people from whom he so desperately wanted to exact justice. So that debt collector didn't just take time from Andrew in the, t- in the form of, of, of phone calls or time spent tracking him down. He took, he took away a little bit of his humanity as well. C.S. Lewis writes of the cursings, it seemed to me that seeing in them hatred undisguised, I saw also the natural result of injuring a human being. It is monstrously simple-minded to read the cursings with no feeling except one of horror at the uncharity of the poets. They They are indeed devilish, but we must also think of those who made them so. Their hatreds are the reaction to something. Such hatreds are the kind of thing that cruelty and injustice by a sort of natural law produce. Take from a man his freedom or goods, and you may have taken his innocence, almost his humanity as well. Not all the victims go and hang themselves like Mr. Pilgrim. Instead, they may live and hate. So the impregnatory Psalms show us the natural consequences of injustice. And third, the imprecatory Psalms give us a proper outlet for our anger. Now, I want to be very careful here. I am not saying that the proper response to our anger is to call down curses on our enemies the way that David does here in Psalm 109. Parenthetically, that is why it is so important for us to not only read our Bibles, but understand how to read our Bibles. I mean, the the Bible's one book, but it has within that one book parables and commandments and history and prophecy and love poems, and we shouldn't read it all the same way. We shouldn't read poetry the same way that we read prophecy. So with regard to the cursing psalms, it's important to note that, that not everything in the Bible is prescriptive. You know, The commandments are, right? They prescribe how we should live, but, but some parts of the Bible are just descriptive. They just describe something that happened. For example, Genesis 19, Lot offers his two virgin daughters to, to an angry mob who wants to assault his house guests. That is, of course, not prescriptive. It doesn't tell us how we should behave. It simply describes how Lot behaved in that instance. So in the same way, the, the cursing psalms are not meant to prescribe actions to us. We, we wouldn't be doing God's work if we, you know according to Psalm 137, dashed Babylonian babies against rocks. Psalm 109 describes the pain that David feels, which by the way, interesting note, that pain is caused not by actions but by words. It's words, the words of his enemy. Deceitful people have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred they surround me. Whoever made up that sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me nonsense was obviously never nicknamed Fatso by their older brother in middle school. It's a totally hypothetical example. You know, words matter. Words are what caused David the agony that that could produce these curses. But what David does throughout this psalm and what we actually can imitate when we experience the kind of pain and suffering that tempts us to curse is, is that David puts in God's hands, squarely in God's hands, the work of exacting justice. He doesn't ask to be powerful enough to slay his enemy. He, 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 he doesn't ask for any of that. He asks for God to act in his defense. He relinquishes his right to retribution over to God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. And I want to point out here, he could have. I mean, this is King David we're talking about. This is David who slayed Goliath. This is David who, who found Saul sleeping and still let him live. This is, this is David who, who, when he was fleeing the city from his son's coup, uh, that, that man Shimei started to, to curse him and pelt him with rocks, and, and David's troops are like, you want us to kill this guy? And David said, let him curse. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing. Dan Allender writes, da- when David withheld vengeance, It was because he chose to, not because he lacked the opportunity, skill, or courage. David doesn't take revenge because because David knows what's in his own heart. He remembers Bathsheba, and Tamar, and Amnon, and Nathan. He knew he didn't have the right to judge anyone. And listen, I am not saying that what they did to you wasn't wrong. Absolutely it was. But what I'm saying is that we must not make the fatal mistake of confusing being in the right with being righteous. Dan Allender writes, God designed and blessed anger in order to energize our passion to destroy sin. We should be angry. In fact, anger is not the sin in these cursings. Anger is not the sin. The sin is our myopic hope that another sinner will be crushed by God's punishment instead of the serpent who seduced him. The reason James tells us that, that human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires is because our anger is usually so short-sighted, so, so selfish, so it's, it's, it's the childish rage produced when we really believe that we are entitled to experiencing the fullness of heaven in the here and now Instead of waiting for God's redemptive timing, we're, we're not often angry at the right things. We should be angry, but we must learn to, to aim that anger in the proper direction, at evil and at, 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 at all the ways that it mars the image of God in us and others. We should be angry and we should pour that anger out to God like David does here. We should pour it out to God even when it's imperfect and even when it's self-centered and even when it's childish because if we don't, we will, my friend Doug says, we'll be inauthentic. God already knows. He already knows how we feel. It's, It's better for us to pour out our vitriol before God than to let it leak out on other people. So be angry, pour your anger anger out to God, and then know as you do that he is even angrier. God is more offended. He is more wounded. Sin is so hateful to God that he sent his only son to die so that we might be freed from it. Pour out your anger, but then as David does here, leave the punishment, leave the justice in God's hands. Because if we call down curses on those who sin against us, we have to recognize that, that, that we're calling those same curses down on our own heads too. It is our sin that held Jesus to the cross, not just the sin of those who've sinned against us. If we exact justice for sin, then it, it's an incomplete justice. It would leave intact the sin inside of us that also must be completely annihilated in order for us to hope to stand for all eternity in the presence of a holy God. Relinquishing our right to retribution over to God, letting him exact justice, you understand? It's, it's the only way that we can get justice without destroying ourselves in the process. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't actively fight for justice in our world? Of course not, we should. Does this mean that we should stay in, in abusive relationships that invite further harm? No, of course we shouldn't. As, as long as we have breath in our bodies... We should fight against injustice with every fiber of our being, but then we must also forgive the people who have been unjust. It's not weakness. It's how we imitate the power of an almighty God. Because you know what? The the strongest thing that Jesus ever did wasn't to flip tables or feed the 5,000 or even to raise Lazarus from the dead. The strongest thing that Jesus ever did was to die. The mightiest thing that he did was, was, was to allow himself to become a man. He could have rained down cosmic apocalypse on his abusers, but that's not what he chose to do to show his power. He showed it through humility, to make himself weak, to still his heart, to breathe his last, so that we could be forgiven. It's not weakness. It's the power of God to forgive the inexcusable in us. So pour out your anger to God. Absolutely. List for him all of the reasons that this world is unacceptable as it is. But then remember that we, that you and I, are also the ones who have made it so. And that shouldn't take the fight out of us. But I pray to God that it takes the judgment. I mean, we, we shouldn't be satisfied. We shouldn't be satisfied until his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. But we should also let his death be enough to satisfy our lust for personal vengeance. It was enough for God Almighty that Jesus died. Let it be enough for us too.